We're in the series, Made for More. Uh, we have been journeying through the book of 2 Timothy, and I don't know about you, I'm just amazed at the wisdom and the truth that is in 2 Timothy that we can learn from. And it's not just relevant to that day and age and that culture, but it's so relevant to us here and now. So we're going to be continuing that journey and exploring a little bit more about 2 Timothy. But week one, Anna, she brought to us a message on spiritual gifts and what it looks like to act in our spiritual gifts. Week two, I spoke into what it looks like to act in an unashamed courage and to stand up for our faith. Week three, Blaine, he expanded on that a little bit more and looked at what it looks like to be strong in the grace that is given to us through Christ Jesus. And then last week, Royce, he brought to us a message about our words and how big an impact they can have on the people around us and the importance of our words and the words that we speak. So we're going to be continuing to move into the verses that follow. And I want to start off by just looking at the scripture that we're going to be looking at here tonight. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you right now to turn to 2 Timothy, and we're going to be reading a few verses. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one around you, floating around you somewhere. Uh, If you don't have one at home, that is our gift to you. You can take that with you. You can go home. You can read it because there is power in God's Word, and I'd encourage you to do that. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verse, starting verse 20. This is what it says. It says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of the special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Tonight, I'm going to talk about holiness. Um, More specifically, I've titled this message, The Pursuit of Holiness. So I'm I'm interested what, what you guys think when you hear the word holiness, because I think there's a lot of preconceptions that we might have. Um, There's a lot of preconceptions within Christian culture to what holiness is and what it means. So I actually want to invite you guys just for, you know, 20 or so seconds, just turn to the person next to you or around you. Consider what does holiness mean? What is it? What's some synonyms of holiness? Just take a few seconds. I feel like holiness is probably bigger than maybe you can articulate in a few seconds. I'm not sure what comes to mind. Maybe the idea of being set apart Maybe the idea of living a certain way, not living a certain way, not doing certain things, maybe burning your secular CDs. I don't know what holiness looks like for you, but we're going to explore it a little bit. Um, The church I grew up in, we used to sing this song. It's an old worship song, um, and it's an interesting one. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to do you guys a favor and not sing it for you. Um, But I have someone who can sing a lot better than me. So, Jesse, refine us fire. Who's heard that song before? Yeah, a few of us. Thanks, Jess. Um, Refiner's Fire, it's called. And when we used to sing that in church, I always used to struggle with a particular lyric in that song that says, my heart's one desire is to be holy. Because if we're honest, it probably isn't. It probably doesn't even make our top 10. Like, we've got lots of things that we desire for our lives. You know, we desire 
awesome relationships, friendships. We desire a joyful life, happiness, a full life. Holiness, it doesn't really make the list, but what I want to unpack for you guys tonight and what I want to explore is that if we want any of those things, if we want to see any of those things actually come to fullness in our lives, then we actually have to start with the pursuit of holiness. Because if we don't, what we're going to see happen is we're going to see sin destroy the relationships that we want to have. We're going to see sin destroy the joy that we want to have and stop us from actually living the life that God has for us. So we have to start with holiness. Now, holiness, it's an interesting topic. And as I started to prepare for this message, I realized it was a much bigger topic than I realized and a much bigger topic than any single verse in Scripture actually articulates on its own. So I want to come back to 2 Timothy that we just read a moment ago. I want to land there again at the end. But before we can get there, I want to explore holiness from a more whole picture. I want to take a journey through Scripture and look at what holiness actually is and what it means, because in doing so, then we can understand what Paul is calling Timothy to here. So I want to start uh, in 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1. I think we've got it there on the screen. It says, so prepare your minds, actually, yep, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Now, I don't think you have to have been to church for very long or read much of the Bible to hear the message that you can't be holy. You just can't do it, right? We are broken. We are sinners. God is holy. We can't be holy. We see it all throughout Scripture. But equally present in Scripture, we see that we're commanded to be holy. And I don't know if you get confused when you read the Bible, but I do. And it's things like that that just mess with me. Because which is it? Are we, called, are we not able to be holy or are we meant to be holy? We see the same thing with righteousness. It says no one is righteous, not one. And there's almost like verses later, it's like be righteous. It's like, wait. <laughs> how, how, does, how does that work? Do we receive it as a gift or do we have to work for it? Well, I think the answer to that is yes. <laughs> All right? In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, uh, Paul, he talks to us, um, talks about being reconciled to Christ. I think we've got it up there. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, he's become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. And then two chapters later, it's almost like Paul is giving us a different message in 2 Corinthians 7 where he talks about this idea of that we have to cleanse ourselves. But wait, I thought that was Jesus' job. So, so why do I have to do it? You see, what Paul understands here and what he's trying to help us understand is that these are not contradictions, but they are two essential pieces and parts of what holiness actually is and what it means. And that's what I want to explore a little bit deeper, Okay. All right, so I want to start with three things that I think actually stop us 
from pursuing holiness in our lives as Christians. The first is, I think we just simply see it as optional. That idea that that's great for you. If you want to make your already difficult life harder and you want to not do certain things, not watch certain things, not go certain places, then that's completely fine. But I, I am under grace. We see it as optional. We expect it from our pastors and our leaders. And then we don't hold ourselves to the same standard. Bishop J.C. Ryle, he says this. I love this. He says, we must be holy. This is the one grand purpose and end for which Jesus came into the world. Jesus is a complete savior. He doesn't merely take away the guilt of our sin. He breaks its power. We celebrate what Jesus has saved us from, but we also celebrate what he has saved us to, which is a holy life. In Ephesians 5, Paul, he in essence, he says the same thing. He says, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. God is calling us to holiness. And I think for some of us, that's actually a little bit disappointing. We love the being saved part, right? Being saved from our sin, eternity with God. That sounds great. Pursuing a holy life, not so much. But we can't separate the two because they are one. And I want to make it very clear here. I think this is a really important distinction to make. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. All right, We are saved by faith, not by works. But often we say this, we're saved by faith, not by works, but we are saved by faith for works. And really what we're trying to articulate is that, yes, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, but it is the very act of our salvation that will result in works in our lives. Then we start to live a life that is pleasing to God. Not because it's required, but because we can't not do it. After encountering his goodness and beginning to understand his sacrifice for us. And this is an essential piece to what holiness actually means. A pastor was once talking with a woman who had grown up um, in a church that taught that it's by your works that you earn your salvation, right? You're saved by the things that you do. This is what she understood. And he was explaining grace to her. And she just said, this is amazing, why, why doesn't every church teach this? And he said, well, why do you think? And her response is really interesting. This is what she said. She said, well, it's kind of scary because if it's by what I do that I'm saved, if it's by my works that I'm saved, then there's a limit to what God can ask of me because he can only ever ask of me what I have done for him. But if grace is true and Jesus' sacrifice is true, then there is no limit to what God should or could ask of me. It demands unconditional obedience. That's what grace is. That's what grace means. 
It is not a license to go and live your life however you want to live it. But when we truly understand Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, what he gave for us, then we can't not respond. And that response, it looks like a life that seeks to please God. And I would say, and you know, this might be controversial and you might disagree with me and that's completely fine, but I would argue that if you do not have any desire to live a life that pleases God, then you do not understand the cross. Because if you do, it changes you. It begins the transformational process that we call repentance. Because that's literally what repentance means. It is a change of mind that affects our actions. And repentance is not a requirement for salvation. It is the response to salvation. And when we understand Jesus' death and what he gave for us, I would argue that we cannot not respond in that way. It is the very act of us being made holy that leads us to live a holy life. The pursuit of holiness is not optional. It's the response to what Jesus has done for us. And you might say, okay, well, that's, that's fine. I, I want to do it, but I've tried, and again and again, I fail. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels like that. And I think that's the second reason we don't do it, is because it feels unattainable. It feels impossible. We try to please God, and we again and again just screw it up. And we find ourselves at that point where what's even the point of trying anymore? I just can't do it. It's impossible. There's two ways that we can look at God, and it's really important to understand God in both of these ways. The first way is that God is a judge. And as a judge, and as we stand before God the judge, there is nothing that we could ever do to be innocent. Why? Because we're judged by the law, and we've all violated God's law. So we are all guilty. There is no good work that you could ever do. It's the same in any courtroom. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. It doesn't change the fact that you've broken the law. But in that courtroom, we are made holy by what Jesus did. You see, he stands before us. And instead of seeing our brokenness and our sin, God sees Jesus' holiness. That is why we are made holy before God the judge. But God isn't just a judge to us. He is also our father. And as our father, we have the ability to please him. We have the ability to live our lives in a way that makes him proud, where he's able to delight in us. And what that looks like is a life that pursues holiness. But I still think that we would agree that we, we still, we just feel like again and again, we just stuff it up. I want to please God, but again and again, I fail. You know, multiple times in my life, I've come to the point where I don't even want to ask for God's forgiveness because I know I don't deserve it. So I don't even want it because I just failed that many times. And you see, I actually think that it's in moments like that that we can become so focused on seeing the victory in our lives, seeing victory over sin in our lives that we lose focus on God. I actually think this is a problem with 
Western Christianity. We have an obsession with victory, right? Because the problem with victory is that victory is often self-focused. I did it, and it's often sin-focused. I overcame it. And in doing so, if we're not careful, we can lose sight of God in that. So my argument would be that we should shift our focus from victory to obedience, Because obedience puts our focus back on God. You see, even when we're not victorious, even when we fail again and again and again in the pursuit of holiness, each and every time we still have an opportunity to be obedient by approaching God's throne and saying, I know I've failed again, but I don't care. I'm going to be obedient here. I'm going to ask for your forgiveness even though it might happen again tomorrow, I'm going to be here in this moment and I'm going to cleanse myself before you through repentance. Holiness, it is attainable through an obedient and repentant heart. It's interesting, in Romans 16, Paul, he draws out this characteristic of the church. He says, your obedience is known to all. That's the thing that he decides to focus on. He says, your obedience is known to all. You're known for when God says to do something, you go and you do it. And I read that and I'm like, is that something that you want to be known for? Like, I don't think it's really top of the list. I think we, we want to be known for all sorts of things. We want to be known for a, a church that has amazing worship. We want to be known for having dynamic, engaging messages that are funny. Obedience? It's, it's not really top of our list, but... You see, obedience keeps our hearts focused on God. And it's so important in the pursuit of holiness. And allows it to actually be attainable. Third thing I think that stops us from pursuing holiness is that it's just simply not desirable. You know, in preparing for this message, I read a number of articles and Multiple made this comment. They said that holiness in our culture has been replaced by authenticity. The pursuit of holiness has been replaced by authenticity. Now that hit me pretty hard because I think that authenticity is such a big value for us in our culture, specifically for the millennial generation, young adults. We're always talking about authenticity and how important it is. And you see, if we view holiness as reaching for something that we're not, then we're going to reject it because all we want to be is our real, raw, messed up selves. That's what our culture continually tells us. We just want to be real, authentic. We want to be okay with that. And the problem with holiness is that we see it as an opposing force to that. That we're reaching for something, that we're working to something that isn't us. And really this just comes from a misunderstanding of what holiness is. Because holiness isn't working towards something that you're not. It's working towards what God has created you to be. Right? Because God has called us to a holy life. We read that before. We read it all throughout Scripture. We are called to holiness. So really, by pursuing holiness, all we are doing is following the call of God in our lives. And there is nothing more authentic than doing exactly that. Authenticity and holiness can work together. Jesus is the perfect example of this. The most holy person who ever lived. 
he didn't only just live a holy life himself, but he continually called other people to holiness. And yet, he was the most compassionate, loving, relatable, and authentic individual who ever lived. If we want to see how these things can coexist, then I think we just need to examine the life of Jesus. Holiness, it should be desirable in our lives. Why? Because we should desire to be working towards seeing the image of God in our lives. And that's what holiness is all about. That's what it is. That's what it means. So I want to revisit 2 Timothy here. I want to take a look at what is Paul encouraging Timothy towards here in these scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 20, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul, he's using this very clear illustration here. He's saying there's two kinds of vessels, and I've got an example here. I'm not one for, for props normally in a message, but I just think this is such a clear illustration. See, Paul, he's creating a contrast here. He says there's articles of gold and silver for special purposes. And then he says there's articles of wood and clay for common use. Now, common use is a really interesting translation. Other translations put it as dishonorable use. Really what they're getting at is that these were the kinds of containers that were used for taking out the trash. And even more specifically, taking out the trash in that day and age didn't just mean your food scraps and your milk cartons. It meant taking out something else completely entirely. All right? that, that's what we're talking about here. That is the contrast that Paul is making here. And he says one is ready for special purposes and the other is not. Now I want to make it clear here that I do believe that God can work through sinners if he couldn't, I wouldn't be up here talking to you guys right now. But we can't get away from what Paul is saying to Timothy here. He's saying that those who cleanse themselves, those that flee evil desires and pursue righteousness, made holy, they will be better positioned and prepared for God to use for his work. That is in essence... What is at stake here? That is why each of us as Christians should desire to pursue holiness and see it as part of our lives because it prepares us, it makes us available to be used by God. So I want to ask you, you know, when God gets ready to move, when, when he gets ready to begin the process of transforming communities, when God gets ready to go into schools and classrooms and workplaces, when God gets ready to do something absolutely incredible, not boring, not ordinary, 
but write it down in the history books kind of stuff. When God gets ready to move, what kind of vessel are you? Are you one made holy, prepared for every good work? Or are you going to let the unrepented sin in your life render you ineffective? That's what's at stake here. Holiness, it's not optional. It's the response that we bring to everything that God has done for us. It is attainable through a repentant and obedient heart. And it should be desirable for each and every one of us because it is what God has created us to be. We are called to a holy life. So I want to ask you, is holiness Is the pursuit of holiness a priority in your life? Because if it isn't, it should be. It's as simple as that. So I want to invite us to take some time here in a moment to to reflect and to consider what our life looks like. Are we living in a way that's pleasing to God? What are the things that are hindering that from taking place? What are the barriers to our pursuit of holiness? And we're going to do that over a time of communion. I just think that's so appropriate. Because communion, it's an opportunity. We take a a cup of juice that represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for us. And we take a small biscuit that represents his body that was broken for us, that moment in history on the cross where we were made holy. We remember and we reflect on that. But equally so, and as we said before, we shouldn't just be celebrating what we were saved from, but communion is an opportunity to celebrate what we are saved to which is a holy life. A life that really our one desire is to please our Father. So I want to invite the team to come forward and to distribute communion here. And as they do, I invite the the band to come up. They're going to share a song with us as we do this. If you're exploring here and you're still trying to understand what faith means and what it's all about, just pass that tray along. Let's just really reflect and take some time here to look at our own lives.